Thank you, John. Well, this week we're going to be starting a new series, and we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Second Peter. Uh, now, you've all read Second Peter. Now, there's laughter happening there. Phil's going, not Second Peter again. That's <laughs> the only one he didn't read. Oh, terrible. Well, let, let's see if we can fix that for you today. We're going to be looking at Second Peter. It's, it's one of those that, that we have read before, probably. I know we preached on Second Peter about four or five years ago, uh, 2009, which is, well, that's a bit longer now, isn't it? It's a fantastic book, and it's one that, that has really been resonating with me in the last few weeks and months. Let's start. Uh, we'll read together First Peter, and today we're going to do verses 1 to 4. Next week we're going to carry on and we're going to do verses 5 to 11-ish. Um, fantastic chapter, Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, it starts, just before I start, let me just say, uh, there's some people who think that this might not have actually been written by Peter, that it was someone writing sort of in his name. I don't think so. One of the clues that we have that it's not is the way he spells. Um, it, it starts, this letter is from Simon Peter, and is written Simon the way a Hebrew, a Jewish person would write Simon. You'll see if you've got a Bible, it's probably got a footnote saying uh, Simeon Peter. This letter is from Simeon Peter. That, that's how a Jew would write it. With, with like a Y instead of an I if you're in the Greek. Anyway, back to it. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. And I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith that we have. This face, 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 this faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ our God, or it was given to you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself, by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. And in view of all this, dot, dot, dot. It's about 60 AD, probably, when Peter writes this letter. Uh, he is probably in Rome at this stage. Not too long, if you read through Second Peter, not too long until he is martyred, uh, probably about the same time as Paul in Rome, under the rule, probably, of uh, Nero, who was slightly mad, very slightly mad, and hated the Christians. Peter writes to the church here as a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. Jesus is what his whole existence is about. Simeon is the one who was led by God, we read this in Mark chapter 8, to come to the realization that Jesus was more than just a great teacher, more than just a good man, that he was actually God, the Son of God. And Jesus turned to him and said, Simon, from this day on, you are the rock, because you are the rock on which I'm going to build my church. And I love that Peter's the rock, because quite often he acts like quicksand, and God still says, no, you're the rock, because I'm with you, Peter. 
This is, this is Simon Peter, the one whose whole life is revolved around the one who he, who he came to understand to be God incarnate. Specifically, he says as he writes, reminding them of what they know, reminding us of what we know, that he was an apostle, a, a messenger of God. Uh, but, but apostle means messenger, but more than that, Peter was one of the apostles. He was one of Jesus' authorized representatives. Now, uh, the church has had some difficulty until recently, we hope, with the tax office. And that they wouldn't speak to any of us, not even John, who'd been doing it for years and years and years, because we were not authorized representatives. And so we couldn't change any of the details. Oof. Eventually we managed to sort the tax office out. But the fact is, they won't listen to you unless you have the authority to speak on that institution's behalf. Peter is an apostle. He is the authorized representative of Jesus. He is the one who speaks on Jesus' behalf, telling us about Jesus, instructing us about how to follow Jesus and what that means. Peter is the one who experienced Jesus. He, he told us what he saw, what he heard, what he touched, what he felt. He's going to go a bit later and speak about how he was on the mountain and saw the glory of Jesus as he was transfigured. Filled with the Spirit, Peter tells the good news of Jesus. Tells us about following Him as Lord, about, about us orienting our lives around Jesus. Peter's writing this letter to a church which is under threat from false teachers who are not drawing people to Jesus, but drawing people away from Jesus. Peter wants us to realize what Jesus has done and to understand how to live that. What does he say? Let me bring up my heads. Three, two, there we go. One. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. And you'll see there, these false teachers, which we'll come across in the coming chapters, were coming to the church and saying, rather than living for Jesus... Rather than living for what He offers you, rather than setting your sights on the reward of being with God forever, why don't you just enjoy what you can here and now? And Peter's writing to them and going, yeah, fine, there, there's rewards here, but, but really, the ultimate reward is Jesus. The ultimate reward is following Him. This is what Christians are on about. If you want to call yourself a Christian, you follow Jesus. If you don't want to follow Jesus, fine, but don't think you're a Christian. Because following Jesus, or being a Christian, means following Jesus. God gave us a precious faith. I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Christ our God. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in our knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Grace is God's kindness to those who don't deserve it. It's God's rescue of the guilty. It's not a little thing. Grace cost God. God. It cost God, Jesus, God eternal, his very life. 
And if God has bought us at such a great price, then, then our lives, like Peter's lives, should be set around him. He should be what defines us. People should look at us and go, wow, that person lives like Jesus. That person speaks like Jesus. That person acts like Jesus. That person thinks like Jesus. That person reminds me of Jesus. But Peter, although he wants us to live lives that are in emulation of Jesus, empowered by Jesus, he wants us to start off realizing, as we've already heard from Paul today, that, that we cannot be good enough for God. That no amount of resolutions and trying harder and, and, and deciding not to sin and deciding to live godly lives is going to do it. The starting point for Christian living is knowing that Jesus has done it all. God has done the heavy lifting. And Peter starts his, his letter here not by saying, right, you guys get to work. He starts by going, guys, let me remind you about God. And it's quite appropriate that we're doing this book straight after Christmas because, guys, let me remind you that God gave. God gives us all that we need. We all got Maybe some of us didn't, but most of us got presents at Christmas. But God has given us the best presents. He has given us a precious faith. He gives us grace and peace. He has given us everything we need to live a godly life. He has given us great and precious promises. And he starts off, Peter here, in the second half of verse 1, by going, God has given us a very precious faith. How do we become a Christian? You're allowed to answer. By responding to God's invitation. So, do I become a Christian by choosing to trust God? Yes. But God chooses me. And both are true. Bible... The Bible takes seriously the fact that we choose to trust God. That, that's what faith means. Faith means trust. But it's also clear that our trust, our faith, is a gift. We've been given a precious faith because of Jesus' justice and fairness. Because of his righteousness. Because God acted to make us right with himself. We have faith or trust because God is our Savior, our Rescuer, the one who calls us to Himself. We didn't just wake up one morning going, you know what, today I'm going to follow Jesus. The Apostle John says that we love God because He first loved us. We trusted Jesus. We put our faith in Him because Jesus came to rescue us and opened our hearts to realize how much we need Him, to realize that we can never maintain our resolution to be good enough for God. Peter calls this faith, this trust, precious because in faith we are united to God in Christ. In faith we, we died with Jesus. We came to life with Jesus when he came to life. And in faith, we are in Christ and we are God's children. We need rescue.
we live in an age where the idea of needing rescuing is not very popular. Uh, I was listening to the radio the other day and there was this guy talking, I didn't listen to the whole interview, it irritated me. He was rewriting Cinderella because he was listening to the story and going, this is pathetic. This, this little Ella girl, she just doesn't stand up for herself. If she stood up for herself, she would have not had to deal with these sisters. She would not have to deal with the mother. It would have been totally different. She just had to rely on her own inner strength. This is the age in which we live. If you are strong enough, you can rescue yourself. We think if we use our skills and abilities, we can be good enough for ourselves. We can save ourselves. God, if God exists, must be impressed with us because look at how we have made ourselves. We are self-made men and women. The Roman emperor uh, at, at this era was often known as a God and a Savior. And the only thing that's changed is that we now all consider ourselves that. Perhaps we think maybe not, oh, I'm not that great, but, but perhaps we have this idea that technology will save us or medicine will save us or economics will save us. And, you know, if we just get the military power system right, then, then we can undo world, world poverty, we can... Re- reduce world hunger so that there is no hunger, we can have a utopian society and technology and medicine and economics and all of that will bring us to this brilliant place where everything goes well, we will control the weather, we will control nature itself, and if we can't do it on earth, we'll find another planet. Amen! You know, maybe, maybe, all of those things are true. Maybe we find another planet. I don't know what God made. Maybe we learn to control the weather. Maybe we, we reduce world hunger. Maybe we fix climate change. The world seems to alternate between optimism that we can fix things and pessimism that there's no way we're going to fix it. You know, even if we get really close to having utopian society, the problem is, and God says this, this world we are living in is corrupt. It says that in verse 4. Escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. You know, even if we find another planet that's pristine and beautiful, if as soon as we get there, there's a problem. God won't let the corruption of this world, of this universe, stand forever. And we can't escape the corruption of the world by ourselves. We're, we're part of it. You know, if you take a marble and you set it going around a circular plate, eventually that marble will spiral into the middle of a plate and stop. Because it's decaying. It's only got a certain amount of energy and eventually that energy will run out. Faith, trust, is knowing that God comes in from outside 
and adds energy. That God has saved us. So God gives us a very precious faith. But he also gives us grace and peace. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Now what's interesting here, you'll notice that uh, everything that God gives us, except for this one, is in the God has given tense. This is in the tense of, may God give you more grace and peace. You know, that we trust Jesus is in itself grace. It's God's generous, loving heart. And Peter prays here and says, may God give you more and more and more grace, undeserved kindness and peace. Peace is linked to grace. Peace is that sense of knowing that we are right with God. uh, That God has made us right with himself. So if God has given us a precious faith, if God has made us right with himself, then why does Peter go and say, may God give you more grace and more peace? And I think it's because although we've been given a very precious faith, we still live in a corrupt world. And we still sin. And the amazing thing, and Paul goes through this as well uh, in Romans, I think, is, is that no amount of falling short of where God wants us to be can outdo God's grace. Does that make sense? Paul says where sin increases, grace increases even more. Which is fantastic. And this is not an excuse to do what you want. We're going to look at that next week. But it's an encouragement to keep on knowing Jesus. You see, this grace and peace, says Peter, he says, may it come to you as you grow in your knowledge of Jesus, of God. And knowledge here is not just knowing about God. This is knowing God personally. Uh, English is very unfortunate that we only have one word, to know. If you go to the German, they've got two words. They've got Wissen and they've got Kennen. Uh, Kennen is, is knowing personally. So, do you know Mark? Yes, I know Mark. Um, Wissen is, do you know about Mark? Yes, I know about Mark. Uh, what, what Peter's writing here is saying, uh, may God grow, give you more and more grace and peace as you know Him. Personally. In other words, as your relationship with him grows. Now, Peter's writing here, remember, to a church where there are false teachers coming in and trying to drag people away from Jesus. Uh, Peter doesn't want us to just have a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling like, yeah, he wants that. He wants us to to grow in our our love for God, to to know God personally. But, But if you have a relationship with someone, you also know about them, don't you? I know Mark, and because I know him, I know this about him. He's almost as bad at telling puns as I am. I know him, therefore I know about him. And and I think the same is true of God. The more we know him, the more we know about him. The the two are kind of like uh, intermingled. And Peter wants us to know what God has done for us, uh, what he wants of us. He wants us to realize who he is, to, to know him completely. You know, it's, it's dangerous to have a sterile faith that is all up in your head but never engages your emotions 
never engages your heart. But it's just as dangerous to have a, a, a trust that is all about emotions and heart and never engages our heads. So that if we wear our t-shirt and somebody comes to us and says, well, well tell me, we go, um, um, yes. The Bible, I think, demands a knowledge of Jesus and of God that is not only there and not only there, but encompasses everything. A relationship with God out of which we know about God. And if you have a relationship with someone, you, you want to know more about them, don't you? I don't know. Is anyone here married? <laughs> know your husband or your wife? Uh, who's been married the longest? That would be Eric and Lynn, wouldn't it? 58 long years. <laughs> I bet you know each other. And I bet you know about each other as well. One of the things of Christmas is finding out what to give someone. And the easiest thing to do, for I, we did Secret Santa with my family this year, and I had my cousin, who I see about two times a year, one of which is Christmas. And so what do I do? I, don't, I, I know him, but I don't know much about him. And so what do I do? I go to someone who knows him better. I phoned his mother, and I said... Aunt Debbie, what would Bradley like for Christmas? No, close. <laughs> but we, we go to people who know them because we think that they will know about them. In fact, this knowing Jesus is, is really what Peter's all about. He starts his letter with it, and in chapter 3, verse 17 to 18, he repeats it again. Know Jesus. Know God. So what does God do? God has given us a very precious faith. He, he keeps giving us grace and peace. Nothing we do can outgrace God. But he has also given us everything we need for living a godly life. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. Again, know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. As Christians, we are, we are called to be holy. We are called to live a life that pleases God, a life that matches up with that lived by Jesus, a, a life that reflects God's goodness and character. And, and as I look out at you, and you look at me, you go, wow, Nico, do you match up with that? But that's what we're called to. We are meant to be perfect, as God is perfect. Now, I know my wife's at the back with the kids, otherwise she'd be looking at me going, yes, Nick, you're perfect in every single way. Um, and I'm glad she's at the kids because she can't hear what I'm saying or else she's ignoring it very astutely. But you know what? This is what we are called to actually be. Not as a, ha, 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 of course you're not, Nick. And you all laughed, by the way, I noticed that. But we are meant to be Perfect. And says Peter here in verse 3, every single resource that we need to be perfect, to live a godly life, has been given to us. We cannot live a godly life by ourselves. I know, I've tried, I'm sure many of you have tried. We cannot do it. We need God's power. We need Jesus. 
Jesus who lived a perfect life. Jesus who is perfectly glorious, who, whose life was excellent in every way. Jesus who, who lived out of God's divine power at all the time, who, who himself is God, who, who, who showed the glory and excellence of God most clearly and who we see most clearly, clearly showing that on the cross. Everything that we need has been given to us. We're going to pause. Just, just thinking of that. Everything that we need has been given to us. Could you hand these around? Don't eat yet. Just, just have it with you. The false teachers that Peter was confronting at this time in this church. We're going around, as we've said, and we, we read this in chapter 2, and saying, don't live godly lives. Go and live whatever life you want to live. And in fact, says Peter to us in chapter 2, verse 18, they were going around and saying to each other, uh, well, bragging about themselves with empty foolish boasting and with an appeal to twisted sexual desires luring back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception, promising freedom but are slaves themselves to sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And Peter comes and writes from the very start and says, you have been given everything you need to live a holy life. And yet there were people in the church who were easily led astray because they thought, no, we don't have everything we need. Because we don't live holy lives. So why don't we just, you know, do whatever we want? Is Jesus' power on its own enough to strengthen anxious tempted Christians today. Do we have all we need to live a godly, holy, perfect life? Says Peter, absolutely yes. But don't think that being a Christian means you get the easy track. If you read the Gospels, Jesus didn't make anything easier. In fact, Jesus said, if you, want to be, if you want to be with God in your own strength, your perfection has to go beyond anything you've ever imagined. Peter doesn't shy away from telling us to make every effort. We're going to look at that next week. But, but he says, don't make an effort so that you can be right with God, but make an effort because God has made you right with himself. He has given you a precious faith. He does give you grace and peace. And he has given you everything you need to live a godly life. There is no secret technique. There is no secret uh, formula that you have to follow. There is no prayer that if you pray it three times a day, you will live a godly life. There is no technique for, I don't know, you know those rubber bands. You, you don't need anything else.
The other thing about verse 3 is that if God has given us everything we need to live a godly life, then if we are not living a godly life, whose fault is it? And I'm not here to come and say, oh, you bunch of sinners, because I'd be the first one to go, yeah, well, what about me? But the fact is, if God has given us everything we need to live a godly life, then we cannot blame God for not making us godly. We cannot spend all of our time going, God, just make me godly. God, just make me godly. God, just make me perfect. God, just do this, do this, God, do this, God. Because God looks at us and goes, why do you keep asking me? I've given you everything you need. Next week we've got some more practical advice about how to live a godly life from Peter. But our first priority has to be recognizing that Jesus has done all the heavy legwork for us. Have you ever lost your car keys? And you've turned the house upside down and you're getting frustrated and you're going, Where? Tara, have you seen my car keys? And she says, no, where did you put them? And just like, I'm awesome, I'm late. She's been at the church for half an hour already and I can't go. And then you look in your pocket. And they've been there all along. Am I the only one that does that? Yeah, yeah, I'm the only one. I knew that. Try your credit card. That's a good thing to lose. Uh, Tullian, whose surname I can't pronounce, Uh, said this. He said, the truth is we all typically live this way, frantically and frustratingly searching for something we already have. The gospel is God's good news announcement that everything we need, we already possess in Christ. Because of Jesus' finished work, Christians already have all the justification, approval, significance, security, freedom, validation, love, righteousness, and rescue that we desperately long for and look for in a thousand things infinitely smaller than Jesus. Unfortunately, we allow our internal voice, the one that constantly says, do this and live, to drown out the external voice that shouts, it is finished. It is done. Just look in your pocket. Just look in your life. You have all that you need. And yet we run around expecting God to do it or trying to find a secret way to to live a godly life. And, And Jesus, says Peter, looks at us and says, you have all that you need. Next week's going to be good because it's, well, fine. It's one thing to have it. It's another thing to use it. We have all that we need. Because on a night thousands of years ago, Jesus came and died for us and gave up his life for us. He came because he knew that we couldn't do it ourselves. He came to give us a chance to put our trust in him. He came to call us to put our trust in him.
He came because he knew that we need grace. And that without that grace we could never have peace with God. We would ever and always be trying harder and harder and harder to make ourselves good enough for God. And Jesus came and said, you know, just stop it. I've given you. I've done all that needs to be done. Will you just trust me? And yes, I want you to live a life in imitation of mine, but but don't even try and do that because you're able to do it by yourself. You can't. Let's go back to verse 1 and 2. More and more grace and peace. You're going to mess up. It's not about being perfect. It's about wanting to be like Jesus. And Jesus says, I've given you all the tools you need. I've given you all the energy you need. I haven't just given you a set of Christmas lights. I've given you the battery pack to power them as well. Because on the night Jesus was betrayed, on the night that Jesus came for us, he took some bread and he thanked God for it and he broke it and he said to the people gathered there, this is my body for you. Remember me as you do this. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup, saying, This cup is the covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, says Paul. Let's eat, let's drink together and proclaim that Jesus has done it, that he has given us so much. Jesus has given us all that we need to live a godly life. But what inspires us to take up those tools, to take up his power, to to want to live a godly life, as imperfectly as we do it, this side of eternity, is the promise of eternity. See, because of his glory and excellence, Jesus has given us great and precious promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. No, it's not, it's not the world we escape. It's the corruption of the world that we escape. And it's a corruption that is caused by us, by human rebellion to God. Either we share the character of this world, the character of rebellion, or we share the character of the judge. The only way to escape what is corrupt is to be taken into what is incorruptible, to share in what is incorruptible, to share in the divine nature of God himself. Peter's not saying we become God, but we share in his life. He gives us his spirit and we recognize him as our father. 
There's a, an intimacy even now between us and God. We, we know Him. We grow in our knowing Him. But 1 John chapter 3, 2 says that when Jesus returns, we will be like Him. Completely like Him. That is God's promise. And this promise of what we will be in the future is what makes us want to be there today. You know, we will only escape the corruption of the world when Jesus returns and makes us brand new and gives us our new bodies that are like His. But even in this life, until then, we are to live out who we will be and who we already are in Jesus. The promise is that we are perfect in Jesus. The resources, verse 3, are that we might live something of that today. The promise is what drags us forward. The resource is what gives us the strength to move forward. Christ Jesus lives in us by his spirit. And if we stay in him, his fruit will grow in us. His characteristics appear in us because we're in a relationship with him, because we know him. The promise of God, the hope of glory is being like Jesus. And the promise of sharing in the divine nature is exactly that. It's a promise. And we have a taste of that already by the Spirit who comes to live in us. By Jesus who lives in us. We do still sin, which is why verse 2 where, where Peter says, May God give you more and more grace is fantastic. But God's promises inspire us to live the Christian life, to live a godly life, to live now what God already sees us as being in eternity. We don't see eternity yet. God is in eternity. God sees us as perfect and gives us the strength now to try and live that out. To not just try and live that out, but to live that out. And gives us the grace for when we try instead of just living it out. We can only live the Christian life because God has given us all that we need. What do I want you to go home and do today? Go and live a godly life. Yeah, I suppose I want, I want me to do that, I want you to do that. But today's lesson is not about what we do. It's so easy to make a lesson about do this, do this, do this. Today's lesson is look in your pocket. It's not about what you do. So much about what God has done. It's not about your inner reserves of fortitude and strength and uprightness. It's about Jesus's. It's not about your resolution that you make. It's about God's resolution that God has made and said. I'm even going to give you the strength to do it. So what I want you guys to go and do today, I want you to go home and say, thank you, Jesus. I was lost and you rescued me. I couldn't do it on myself, by myself. I cannot do it by myself. Thank you for saving me and giving me all that I need, even if I don't use it very well. Next week we're going to go on about living the Christian life. But this week, and I love how Peter starts, it's 
It's not about doing first. It's about realizing what God has done. I said, that's the gospel. Not do. But God has done. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you have done it all. And we do want to live godly lives. We want to live as people whose thoughts and actions and words are a reflection of your own. Thank you, Father, that, that you are the one who enables that to happen. It's so easy for us to try and do it in our own strength. And even the idea of whose strength is whose gets confusing and we don't understand it and all this, Lord. But, but today, I, I just pray that you help us to stop and just to say the only way this is possible is because of what you have done. Thank you so much for dying for us, Jesus. Thank you for rising to life for us. Thank you for being our justification. Thank you for being the one is making us more like this. And thank you so much for grace and more grace as we live this life in anticipation of what we will be. Lord, we are aware that we still struggle with sin. But because we have the hope of eternity in you and the promise of mercy and grace for you, Guarantee of strength to face today. We say thank you. We're going to finish with one last song, a little bit of a soft song. Uh, we belong to the day, to the day that is to come when the night uh, disappears.